leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Bio is using synthetic biology to build intelligence into cell and gene therapies, altering the way they act depending on the changing biological circumstances they may encounter in the body. Doing so may lead to safer and more effective therapies and address such things as the tumor microenvironment and mechanisms cancers have to grow, spread, and become resistant to treatments. Ahead of his appearance at the SynBio Beta Conference that runs October 1st to 3rd in San Francisco, we spoke to Tim Liu, co-founder and CEO of SentiBio, about the company's efforts to engineer a new class of intelligent medicines, its ability to design therapies that hit multiple targets, and its strategy to leverage its technology to reach beyond oncology through partnerships. Tim, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Me on the podcast. We're going to talk about SentiBio, the use of synthetic biology to develop new therapeutic approaches, and what it means to program logic into medicine. Let's start with the case for approaching biology as an engineering discipline. How does thinking in those terms change the way the development of therapies are approached and thought about? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, I think you know, the idea of trying to engineer or modify biology is not a new one. It's something that people have been trying to do ever since the, the first drugs were developed. And what's really changed um, over the last few decades is the precision and speed at which we can do that. Um, you know, with the advent of high-throughput DNA sequencing and synthesis and the continued drop in those technologies from the perspective of cost, um, our ability to, number one, understand how biological systems work and what causes disease, and then to try to engineer those in response is, is really accelerating every year. And that's really what we're trying to build on at, at Synthetic SNT here with our synthetic biology platform. It's really starting to think, think about what are the key challenges that um, exist um, in existing diseases, especially if we want to get to cures, and then taking a very targeted approach where we design we build, um, we test, and then we learn from those experiments to really iteratively optimize to the, the therapy at the end of the day. And so I think what it, it allows us to do is really adopt an engineering mindset um, with really clear uh, goals at the end of it and really um, try to develop therapies that are targeted towards that uh, and, 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 and iteratively optimize towards those end goals. As I think about some of the issues that have slowed the application of synthetic biology, in industrial applications, 
scaling manufacturing or, or cost, they don't seem to apply to therapeutic applications. What are the pain points today to the application of synthetic biology to human therapeutics? Is, is it simply the complexity of biology or are there other particular challenges? Yeah, so I think you're right. Um, this is, you know, the application of synthetic biology for industrial applications, one of the key challenges that's, that's really been a problem there previously is, you know, really the market fit, right? Many of the indications that people were going after biofuels, as an example, had the challenge of you were competing with, with products that you could, you know, derive from, from oil or petroleum at much cheaper cost. And so you could do all the elegant biology and engineering that you wanted, but at the end of the day, there was a market question. I think, fortunately, in the therapeutic space, that's less of an issue if we pick our applications properly. You know, we know that diseases like cancer, like autoimmune disease, like neurodegeneration are not completely addressed these days. And I think there's a, obviously a significant demand from, from patients to really try to build therapies that give you significant improvements. And so that's a great, exciting thing about applying synthetic biology to therapeutic space. But there are, as you mentioned, some, some really significant challenges as well that we, we have to wrestle with from a, from a constant basis. One is the, the, you know, ability to manipulate human biology um, until recently has been less, uh, you know, sophisticated or capable compared to some of the bacterial yeast-based systems in the past. But I think with the, the increase in underlying sequencing and synthesis capabilities and just general advancements in our understanding of human biology, we're starting to tackle uh, some of those problems. And so even though I'm uh, there is, you know, certainly complexity and, and challenges involved. I think there's enough known about human biology today for us to really take a stab at this. Um, I think the key challenge in this space ultimately is going to be the fact that, you know, the, the final proof point is going to be in humans. And so just like any other drug, the design cycle and the testing cycle is going to involve clinical trials. And so that really sets a limitation as to how quickly we can really apply engineering to these problems. Um, unless we develop some other tools, some other surrogates, for example, to, to demonstrate safety and efficacy uh, that we're happy to talk about a bit later. Senti is focused on making cell and gene therapies more intelligent by applying synthetic biology to them. Before we get into specifics of what you're doing, perhaps we can address a matter of terminology. You, you tend to sound a bit like a, an electrical or computer engineer when you speak, you talk about gene circuits and, and gene switches. What do you mean by those terms, and what does it take to engineer them? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I was trained originally as, a, as an engineer um, and then ended up getting an MD-PhD, so I tend to try to switch my language between the two, depending on, you know, really what makes the most sense. But I think the, the gene circuit analogy is really an analogy for biological systems. Um, we know that natural cells are wired in a way that, it's quite complicated. Um, transcription factors bind and interact with each other. We have microRNAs that also regulate. And so there's multiple layers of control that's happening in a cell normally. And that's not too dissimilar from how you think about your computer. Um, in your computer, you have multiple parts. They're interacting and connected together through wires. And it's really that complex interplay between components that leads to you know, sophisticated computational capabilities. So when we talk about gene circuits, what we really mean are essentially multiple genes uh, in a construct, um, and they interact with each other in a way that gives you sort of really powerful functionalities, allowing us to build cells that you can control, cells that sense, cells that make decisions, and cells that respond. One of the analogies we like to, to use is, is think, sort of thinking about 
you know, trying to write a story in biology, let's say you're trying to open up a Microsoft Word template and, and, and write a story there, um, the synthetic biology or the gene circuits we're trying to design really come down to being able to program and write, you know, pretext, you know, weave that story however you want. Um, if you compare that to traditional genetic engineering, that was really more like cutting and pasting words from one place to another. So trying to cut and paste words out of the Wall Street Journal to try to write your book, you know, that, that was more challenging. But now we can really do free-range typing. And similarly, if you think about CRISPR-type technology, it's sort of like the delete button. So I think with the advent of all these technologies over the last few the last several decades to be able to really do fast file manipulation of the genetic code, we can now really design, uh, you know, whole biological stories or programs um, in DNA, uh, taking advantage of the fact that we can write these from scratch. And what are the functions you're able to build into a, a cell therapy? Uh, basically, any any aspect of biological control. Um, we really like to break the components down into three major areas. One is sensing, so we can build cell therapies that can sense their environment, respond to their environment. Um, number two is this element of logic or decision-making, so we can build cells that incorporate multiple pieces of information and actually make a decision whether they're going to trigger a therapeutic output or not. And then thirdly, there's this element of armoring, so we can engineer cells that not only kill tumors, for example, but also spit out uh, therapeutic antibodies or therapeutic proteins that aid in the therapeutic functionality. So, so ultimately, thinking about the cell as this you know, core unit that's able to sense, make decisions, and respond, I think opens up a wide range of applications that you can tackle uh, with this sort of technology that are, frankly, much more challenging to do if you're limited to a classical small molecule approach or an antibody-based approach where you're primarily trying to knock down or block functions that are inside of the, the body. One of the early visions for synthetic biology would that there would be this toolkit of plug-and-play components. The idea was you could walk into a, a biological radio shack, as it were, and pull components off the shelf to build what you need. Is, is Senti doing this to some extent? Do you, do you have a set of components that can be incorporated into different cell types as needed? Yeah, so I, I think you're right. I think that's, that's always been an exciting vision for what you could do with synthetic biology. I think as an analogy, people conceptualize these parts sort of like Lego bricks that you can mix and mash together. I think in reality, that analogy only goes so far um, in that biology is not completely modular. So you can't just take module A and click it together in module B and have it work without any further optimization. So what we've done at Senti is twofold. One is we have built you know, a library of those technologies. So we have our, you know, our sensors that we like to use. We have our logic circuits that we like to use. We have our armoring components that we like to use. But when we start putting these together, there certainly is further design and optimization you do to make sure that component A plugs in well with component B and plugs well with component C and really performs that function that you want in an optimal fashion. So internally, what, we've, we, we, what that means is we have a efficient design, build, test, and learn cycle. We've built custom software that helps design these components and put them together, and then a very efficient process to then put these into the final biological system and test, you know, how well did this combination of parts work? What are some of the things that we need to tweak about these parts to really optimize their activity? So it's these two elements together that I think makes us uh, quite unique and allows us to solve problems from a practical perspective. Well, let's talk about that design, build, test, and learn cycle, which is a, a, a phrase I hear a lot within synthetic biology. It's, a, you know, it's the engineer. 
how complicated is this to do with regard to human therapeutics, given that you may not be able to get the answers you need without actually putting these into living patients? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I think we alluded to this a little bit earlier. I mean, that is the fundamental challenge with you know any drug development experiment, which is we need to develop um, and target biology that's um, well-known, ideally. Um, and so what we've done at Senti is I think we've broken down the problems into really two major categories. From the human therapeutics perspective, that is one of the key challenges with, with, with synthetic biology. Um, and that's actually the, a challenge with any drug development program, which is that, you know, if you're not going after an area of well-understood human biology, then there's a biological risk and a technology risk that you're taking on. I think fortunately with the advancements in, uh, you know, genomics, um, certainly a lot of the data that's being collected already with pre-existing clinical trials, there are biological problems that are pretty well understood um, where we know that if we can only solve, you know, one aspect from a technology perspective, we, we would be able to drive a better therapy. Um, so we're going after applications like that where we can set up, you know, well-understood biological problems, and we have high confidence that if we, if we solve those in our surrogate settings, we can drive, um, you know, uh, uh, um, transformative outcomes in patients. There are certainly a class of other types of diseases where the biological cause is less well understood. I think that's an area where synthetic biology could help um, understand those systems better, um, you know, trying to build better models, for example, be able to manipulate those pathways in, in, in mice or in other animal surrogates um, could help you understand those, um, but probably are more risky from the perspective of drug development. How about in terms of clinical trials? Do you, you need some range of patients to determine an engineered cell with multiple functions does all it's supposed to do, or is it just a matter of demonstrating safety and efficacy like any other study? So ultimately, it's really about demonstrating safety and efficacy like any other study. You know, from the patient perspective, I think most patients wouldn't care what type of drug they're getting as long as it solves the problem. So in, in a sense, you know, we're going to go up, our products are going to go up with, against, you know, any other chemotherapy or small molecule drug or biologics that's out there. So we need to make sure that the functions that we're putting in here are really transformative uh, for patients. Uh, that being said, you know, developing, you know, some of these gene circuit type therapies does raise really interesting questions from the manufacturing and regulatory perspective. Um, you know, the, the, from, the, from the manufacturing perspective, how do you define quality assays and, and metrics to ensure that your product is performing the way it should, you know, throughout the manufacturing process, right? So we're not just monitoring the chemical structure of the drug at the end of the day, but we're measuring something about function. So we've been spending a lot of time, you know, developing assays that can help us measure functionality and ensure that the product that we're making at the end of the day actually performs the way it should. Uh, there's questions from the regulatory perspective. If you, you know, have cells, for example, that could actually change their behavior once they're inside of the patient, that's pretty interesting. Um, from the patient perspective, you know, just self-adapting type therapies. But, you know, where does that put you in terms of how do you ensure that these cells are performing properly? What is the patient-to-patient -patient variation, et cetera? Those are questions that we're going to be tackling in the clinic. The ones that I think, if we're successful, is going to be really exciting for patients because it opens up really completely new types of drugs that are not static or uncontrollable once you deliver them in vivo. What 
does this mean from a, a functional point of view? Are, are you able to get cells to address more than one target? Can you modulate activity rather than just turning something on or off? Yeah, definitely. So I, I would say that for our internal programs, uh, there's really a couple major things that we're trying to solve. Um, and so let me just briefly mention what we see as the major challenges in cancer therapy today. I think one major challenge in cancer therapy is the issue of um, the tumor immune evasion problem, where basically uh, tumors have found multiple ways to evade detection and clearance by the native immune system. And so the way people are trying to tackle this currently is by doing combination therapy with different types of drugs. And one of the challenges there is, you know, if you're trying try to deliver two, three, or four different drugs into a patient, the cost of that is expensive. The development path pipeline is really challenging because you have to make these drugs independently and then start doing different combinations thereof. So to try to address that problem, we can actually build cells that do address more than one target at the same time. So we can have cells that actually you know, secrete two or three different drugs locally within that tumor microenvironment and actually can trigger much more powerful combination therapy, but do that in the context of a single drug that you're making and delivering to patients. The second major challenge that we see in, in this area is the ability to have therapies that can discriminate between disease and non-disease tissue. So, uh, you know, for example, many of the small molecule or, or antibody-based drugs today try to go after single targets. You know, it could be a protein that's displayed on the, an antigen that's displayed on the cell surface. But many of these tumors can be heterogeneous. They find ways of escaping. You know, they can lose expression of that antigen. Another problem is that some of these antigens can be cross-expressed on healthy tissues as well. So if we want to build smarter therapies, you would like a therapy that actually makes uh, its therapeutic decision based off of multiple biomarkers of disease. So could you have a therapy that says only trigger activity when two antigens, two tumor antigens are present, or a therapy that says if I detect this antigen but it happens to be on a healthy tissue, then I don't kill that cell. So we can build therapies that are able to do that. They perform logic. They can say, if antigen A or B are present, then I, then I can kill this tumor. That gives us broader activity. Or we can do things like, uh, if antigen A is present, then I'll kill the tumor. But if antigen A and some healthy tissue antigen, antigen C is present, then I'll spare that tumor. I'll spare that healthy tissue cell. That's an example of a knock gate where you, where you basically, uh, you know, have this A knock C type operation. So those are the types of, fairly simple computation or decision-making processes we can build into our therapies, the ones that are very difficult to achieve with classical antibody-based drugs or small molecule drugs and we think are potentially very transformative for a patient. If you've got that ability to build that type of multifunctionality and multiple drugs, what's the potential for addressing the tumor microenvironment and the ability of cancers to grow to resistant? Yeah, that's, so that's definitely, those are the two major problems um, that we're really aiming for with our therapies because we think those are where we can demonstrate really transformative outcomes. So in terms of modulating that tumor microenvironment, that's where there are a lot of complexities with how tumors evade the immune system. And so I think it's probably going to be pretty unlikely that there's a single target in that environment that you can go after that will destroy the entire thing. Even a very powerful type therapy like existing anti-PD-1 checkpoint inhibitors don't show complete responses across all patients. We know there is patient-to-patient variability. So it's likely that we're going to have to make combination therapies to go after those. And so if we can build cells that do combination therapy inside of tumors, 
locally um, so that you can get very potent activity in the tumors, but um, you don't get some of the systemic side effects. We think that uh, has a tremendous amount of potential and something that's uh, enabled by these gene circuit therapies. And similarly, you know, these tumors, as they develop resistance, we can build therapies that actually adapt or or go after those resistance pathways as they evolve. And so that, that those are exactly those two major areas that we're, we're quite excited about. And you can think about then generalizing that to other disease areas. So if you think about uh, autoimmune disease, it's basically the opposite of, of treating the cancer problem where we're trying to suppress the immune system. But we know that we need to do that in a very targeted, controlled fashion. And that's not something that we can easily achieve with existing drugs, but something certainly we can achieve with some of the gene circuit-based approaches. Are there other major challenges of cell therapies that you think your technology can address? Yeah, so I think there is the element that we sort of alluded to but didn't dive into a lot of detail, which is the element of control with some of these therapies today, um, some of these powerful immunotherapies, and generally, I guess, in cancer therapy, you're always straddling that fine line between maximal efficacy and then safety, right? You want you need to push the boundaries of these therapies. And so most of the cancer drugs we have today really aren't very controllable. Um, once you've delivered them to the patient, you don't really have the ability to titrate them afterwards. Um, so we can do that with some of our technologies where we can build cell therapies that um, go in, can be delivered in vivo, but then you can actually control the activity of that therapy once it's gone in. For example, by giving the patient uh, an FDA-approved drug, an oral drug that they can consume, that could dial up or dial down the potency of that, 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 that cell therapy in vivo. So those are some of the additional technologies we're building that we think will provide the physician as well as the patient to be able to customize these therapies even after they've gone into the body. Have you identified a lead indication yet? Yes. So we have a pipeline of programs. So, you know, Senti was founded in the 2016 uh, where we started putting the technology platform together. The Series A came together February 2018. And so since then, over the last about a year and a half, we've built a, a deep pipeline of programs, um, including solid and liquid tumor applications, where we think there's, you know, existing in, um, challenges. So ovarian cancer, for example, is one of our lead indications that we're going after. It's an area of high medical need. Um, immunotherapies don't work particularly well in that space currently. And it's one where we think we have a good understanding of the biology and a lot of demonstration that we can get cells, for example, that home efficiently into ovarian cancers and can modulate that tumor microenvironment uh, to trigger really strong responses. So that's an example of an indication that we're going after. Uh, but the technology is quite generalizable, so we have a pipeline of additional solid tumors that we're targeting, once again, that are not completely addressed by existing therapies. We're also looking at certain liquid tumors like AML, where... Um, existing therapies are still limited, and, and CAR T cells, sort of the simple CAR T cells, have not been uh, as, as of yet successful in that space to a tremendous degree. Senti is focusing on oncology with its technology in terms of its own pipeline, but you're also looking to partners with others to use your platform to develop indications outside of oncology. How broad is the application of this technology potentially, and, and what's the thinking in that strategy for you? Yeah, so if I can give a bit of context, this is really something we feel very passionate about. Um, so I've been working in this space for almost two decades and working very closely with our academic founders and advisors, people like Jim Collins at MIT, 
Martin Fusenegger at ETH Zurich, Wilson Wong and Mo Khalil at Boston University. And the reason I mention this is actually to collectively our team has uh, you know, a substantial amount of experience and, and also published work around using gene circuits to tackle a wide range of therapeutic applications, not just oncology, but we published work in autoimmune disease, in metabolic disease, inflammatory uh, indications, um, uh, et cetera. So we actually do want to see the gene circuit technology being used really broadly. Um, we've picked oncology internally here at Senti because we think it's one way in which we can get into the clinic quickly and demonstrate the utility of these technologies. But we're very passionate about enabling access to the underlying technology platform for other areas. So we know we can't do everything internally here, so we do want to partner with other groups uh, to apply these technologies. Um, so I would encourage uh, folks who are interested in, in working together with us uh, to certainly reach out, and we, we're happy to entertain those conversations. Um, and the reason why we're particularly passionate about this is we know that the modules that we're building can be readily ported um, across multiple indication types, but also across multiple modalities. So even though we're focused on certain cell therapies internally, you know, the same gene switches can be ported over to AAV gene therapy, they can be put into stem cells, et cetera. But we ultimately think about the gene circuit technology as a platform, so really the software that goes into making cell and gene therapy smarter. And so we can partner together with groups that have their favorite cell type, viral type, et cetera, as well as their favorite indications, and customize how these technologies are being used to tackle those. Tim Liu, CEO and co-founder of SentiBio. If you'd like to hear more from Tim, you can catch him at the SynBio Beta 2019 conference in San Francisco, October 1 to 3. Tim, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for inviting me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.